0: Welcome to episode 21 of the High Core Die Outdoor Adventure Podcast. I'm here with my fantastic outdoor buddy, Craig. How are you, mate? G'day. Good, mate. Yep. Craig, how long do you think you could live out in the wilderness without matches? <laughs>
1: yeah, I know where you're going with that. Not a year. I don't think so.
0: Yeah, I was, I was hoping you weren't going to try and say you, you could do a year. No. Nah. Uh, our guest today on the podcast is Claire Dunn author of my year without matches we've talked about it on the podcast before it's about time we delivered it's a fantastic interview see you on the other side Thank you, as always, to our regular podcast sponsors for their support. Topo Maps Plus, a phone application that allows you to view topographical maps, track your location even without cell phone coverage. Go deeper into the backcountry. Rio's floating polarized sunglasses with 100% UV protection for the love of water. Bluey Merino, Australian super fine merino wool base, mid, and top layer garments. Where our story ends, yours is just beginning. Carribee, one of Australia's leading backpack, travel and outdoor brands. They supply us with dry bags, waterproof day packs and expedition bags. Supporting our sponsors allows us to continue to produce this podcast. So please jump online and check out what they have to offer. Uh, Welcome back, guys. Thanks for joining us again. Craig, how are you, mate? Yeah,
1: good, good, mate. I'm really good, thanks. How are you doing?
0: Um, pretty good. I've been keeping very, very busy. What about yourself?
1: Yes, really busy, busy, busy in the office. I'm afraid. So I am, yeah, really glad that we've just had a, a really decent chat with Claire about getting outdoors and embracing the wild. So, yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling good.
0: Yeah, it was a, it was a fantastic chat. Uh, But unfortunately, you have to listen to us for a while before you get to that gold. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Craig, our little baby is 21 today.
1: Oh, that's good. 21. That's
0: great. 21th episode. 21th. This is the 21st episode, uh, which is pretty huge for us. Um, I'm pretty happy with that, mate. Yourself? Oh, I can't believe it. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Last it's, year we pumped out 10 so episodes.
1: 10 last year and so obviously 11. This
0: is number 11. For this year. And we're going for gold. We still will be giving you one more as a very, very sweet and uh, generous Christmas gift to you all. <laughs> That's my word. If oh. um, If we don't. Get that one out. I'll regret that saying that.
1: You will. You will, Santa. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes, I will. Santa did not come. Uh I've been um doing a fair bit of woodwork. Um finishing up a workbench I made. Um oh I'm making a uh, well installing an outdoor bath and shower. Oh no. Nice. It's summer here, just for you guys. Um on the other side of the world. And mm-hmm. I always find myself doing work in the garden or cutting down trees or whatever and then, um, you know, having nowhere to kind of wash off. So that, that'll be um, pretty um, good for the neighbours too.
1: You love getting nude in the backyard. Yeah,
0: don't mind it. Don't mind it at all. It's all good. <laughs> uh, i got a few axes to restore, so um, i got to get the workbench done just so I've got a bit more space. And I've been building an attic now. Going back to my earlier comment about it being really hot, it's the stupidest time to build an attic. In the roof. But it just happened to work out like that. Um, so I've got to deal with it. I just go up really early in the morning and do about an hour and a half and then I'm I'm toasted, quite literally, yeah. and I get out of there. But it's going well. It's going to be my pleasure. room. <laughs> So to speak. It's going to be full of all my hiking gear and everything. All right. It's going to be legit. You'll see pictures. Is is that
1: legit what it's for? You've been talking about this. Yeah, uh, no. That's where you're going
0: to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There'll be a few other things up there, like the Christmas tree that you only use once a year. (laughs) Um, Maybe a few files and stuff like that. But predominantly, no, it'll be a pretty well-organized hiking gear, little sanctuary up there. That's good. Um cause it just takes up too much room in the house. And I don't like to put it in the shed because of, um, you know, every time you pull it out, it'll be full of gecko crap. Mm. Um, so yeah, I want to avoid that. So I'm building a proper room upstairs, which is pretty rare. I mean, for Australians to even have an attic, it's pretty rare, but it seems like they're pretty much in thing in the States.
1: I am jealous. I've, Always when I had a manhole occasionally, like in another house, that you know we did used to stuff some stuff up there. But having a proper
0: yeah, this has got pull down steps and everything. With a little room up there. Yeah, yeah. It's bit, m- oh, it's not, not little and- man. It's bigger than this it's studio. Big. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. You, you can't stand up in it, but it's bigger. It's got a bigger yeah. floor space than this.
1: Oh, that makes sense. Perfect yeah. sense, man. Why I'll take
0: when I finally get it done. It'll probably take me a few more months to get. Um, electricity put up there and um, I'm insulating it as well so it won't get affected by the heat so all the hiking gear is safe. And Sweet. I've been working on the solo hiking video from that last hike that I did and that's actually almost finished, like real close. Just doing final tweaks on it and I'll get it out there. That'll be another fantastic Christmas gift for y'alls.
1: Hey, I did uh, watch your video. <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah.
0: Oh, thanks very much.
1: Yeah. No, it was good. Um, the dungeon. Yeah. The dungeon, yeah, yeah, yeah. Looked like you're working hard, mate. Really.
0: <sighs> I was actually working hard. I was just thinking today that um I haven't been back there since and I've only done a bit of running locally and I don't think I'll be able to pull off that time unless I get back there and it's just too hot, man. It's just too hot. It is crazy. It's hot. stupidly hot. I I'd have to be up there at sort of four AM starting my run but still the the humidity's up um by five, five thirty and I'd still be in the midst of it.
1: So hot and the country's still on fire.
0: Yeah, well quite literally. Yep. As you um sent me a warning text yesterday saying that
1: yeah. just down the road there's yeah, yeah. a
0: fire from my house.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty pretty awful year for you know summer weather, eh?
0: Yeah, no, it's not good at all. We just had some nice rain but it's not it's not enough. On to happier things, mate. News. Yep. Have you seen the uh Cybertruck? Yes, I have. Do you like it? <laughs> I thought I thought you would.
1: I, I absolutely yeah. loved the launch. I'm sure everyone's talking about it that the glass the, the broke.
0: Yeah, I, I thought they handled that pretty well. <laughs> um what surprised me was that they didn't actually test that before. Because <laughs> um, the guy even says, are you sure? And he goes, yeah, yeah, go for it. <laughs> for those of you who haven't seen it, they I was impressed when they hit that door with, the, what was it, a hammer or a bat yeah. or something? Yeah, and, big sledgehammer. Holy heck, man. It didn't do anything.
1: So Tesla have released a truck and it looks awesome.
0: Yeah, it's, it says here it's, um, it's kind of like, a, when you have a look at it, in parts it's like a, a utility vehicle, like uh, we call it a ute over there. It's almost like a pickup truck. Um, and I don't know if that's a completely separate version of it. but There it is, yeah. Yeah, so that's got the tailgate. And then there's even a... Um, uh, that. No, not that one. There's even a kind of a camping version. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. Haven't you? There's I haven't seen half this uh, stuff
1: you're showing me. That's cool. Yeah,
0: look at that. Wow, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. So you can... Um, Pop the back up and you've got what you can sleep in the back there with a little netting and
1: no, I only watched like a five that, five minute pull out kitchen video of the, the highlights. That's pretty cool. Eh? That's cool.
0: Um, okay. <laughs> Here's where it gets really cool. Think about your current car, your Jeep. Mm-hmm. Um single motor rear wheel drive only. Yep. yep. Zero to 60 miles per hour, so zero to 100. Yeah. Under 6.5 seconds. Oh, really? Yeah. That's good, so that, that's fast. good isn't it? Right? That's real good. That's stupidly good. If you've got the dual motor all wheel drive, mm. that drops to under 4.5 seconds. Right. If <laughs> <laughs> you've got the tri motor all wheel drive, under 2.9 seconds what i reckon that's a rocket that some people would pass out or throw up at doing that speed like imagine the g forces is in that that
1: is so fast
0: i know anyway it's pretty cool uh you know it's a Might be a bit of a weird thing to bring up on a hiking podcast, but it is kind of geared towards that outdoor adventure type of person. Uh, They've definitely geared it at that with the kind of optional extras that they're giving you. Uh, I like it. It's simple. It's tough. It's fast. Um, I'd say that in the future, they might look at more sort of articulation and getting a bit more um, height in that suspension and everything making it a little bit more like a four-wheel drive, but hey.
1: No, you can raise it up.
0: Yeah, I'm sure there's an aftermarket kit or something. No, it's it's got built-ins. Look at, oh, go that's back, right. It does, because he said that see in the, the look launch. look at the front of that. He said that in the launch, it had independent independent air suspension. You could actually, I guess with that pad there inside, you can actually adjust individually, can't you? Yeah, it'll see, have look so at much clearance. It's not dropped anymore. It's pretty cool. It's good. And, uh affordable i would say when you compare that to to you look at the base model of that compared to um some of these big pickups pickup trucks getting around in the u.s and and it's very affordable
1: yeah all i know is that that might be available in two years is that right Um, on the roads in a couple of years is what they said is that right yeah i didn't get order it now but i think you might not see it for
0: two years yeah it's fair enough i guess pretty cool no it's interesting Interesting. Uh, Still on the subject of four drives, have you seen the Land Rover Technics Lego that they bought out? (laughs) The Land Rover Technics. So Land Rover teamed up with Lego. Oh, look. And they've done a Technic, um, which is the, how would you say? It's the more advanced version of Lego with the moving parts and stuff like that uh now the interesting thing about this is this we could see this as one of those situations where they deliberately have released a toy before another model because a lot of people are speculating that there's things on this defender and the shape and everything of it is not actually like the current defender 90 and that uh it could be alluding to no, haven't you seen um, a new model? Haven't you seen the new Defender? Yeah, I have. But it's not exactly like that, is it?
1: No. No. So the new Defender is pretty cool, but it's not quite got that. That looks awesome, and that's a Lego machine. If only, if I could get that Lego.
0: You could get it. It's in... about um well, it's £160. Pound. Yeah, that's so cheap. So I could, aff- <laughs> you could afford I could that. afford that. It's pretty, about as useful as your current four wheel drive. Oh, <laughs> life, oh, it old. looks good though doesn't it? yeah, it's yeah. cool, but I saw there was a really interesting team up between them to yeah, and they had um like a lot of these parts are existing parts from other um builds, but things like those wheels were specifically designed and manufactured only for this land Rover build, so that's why there's a bit of speculation around that. Um, being a prelude to another model.
1: Yeah, they might bring out like a, a an amped-up version of mm. the new Defender. Is that what you're getting at? That's yes, cool. yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah.
0: Cool. Um, oh, I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, do you know what a Rakali is? Rakali? Rakali? I'd never heard of it before. It's obviously a… doubt it. It's a… It must be some kind of a formal name for a… Um, uh, native Australian water rat. It's a pretty big kind of um, oh. rat thing. See that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Australia's water rats or oh. Um One of Australia's lesser known native rodents. Well, listen to this for a headline. Fight to the death. Image of platypus and stous stoush. stoush? Shocks and surprises. This lady happened to be watching this platypus, and what happens is these water rats and platypus sometimes either share um, dens, n- not simultaneously, but at different times throughout the year, but they'll also be territorial, so especially the platypus, so they'll fight for their dens. Mm-hmm. And everyone kind of thinks, as uh The platypus is this um, cute and cuddly little thing. But this um, photograph that she got and she witnessed this whole situation was this platypus, they started fighting, and this platypus, ultimately the platypus won, trapping the Rukali underwater for 10 minutes after which it ceased to struggle and died. The the platypus then returned to its burrow. Uh, So I think it's just... uh, amazing how you can think you know wildlife or think the typical kind of perception yeah. of of what we see all the time from a platypus and then all of a sudden this uh modern technology is kind of bringing these images and footage to us of them acting in in Very strange ways. Well, not strange ways for them. In ways that we didn't perceive that was possible.
1: Yeah, that changes the game a bit, eh? It's
0: pretty cool, eh? I mean, not cool for the (laughs) Rikali. But, yeah, it was a fight um, outside the entrance of a burrow. Platypus have got
1: talons talons (laughs) on them that can probably...
0: They've got kind of claws on their webbed. It says here that it um, was forcefully clutching it with its hind legs. Really? Um, only the male has the, the poison, uh, barbs though, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Cause at first she thought that it might've been a, a male, um, poisoning it. Hmm. That's another thing that people, a lot of people don't know is that they have these poison barbs. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, really interesting. Anyway, what the Rikali was famous for, and this, when I looked up Rikali so this water rat was, this is one of those evolutionary things. So uh, in Australia, we have something called a cane toad, which was, long story short, it's an introduced species. We had, uh, sugar cane was a massive crop uh, a long time ago in Australia. It was a massive crop. And, that accidentally uh in bringing you know not quarantining things properly uh we accidentally brought in this thing called a cane bug which was because the cane bug was introduced as well wasn't it it, yeah it's not native this bug was just tearing through and destroying all these crops so they had this fantastic idea that they would bring these toads over to australia and release them and that the release them in the cane fields and the toads would eat all the cane bugs and everyone would live happier ever after, happily ever after rather. But what happened was the cane toads realized that there were so many other things worth eating and so much easier prey than the cane bugs that they, and they breed at a ridiculously alarming rate. Mm. So getting back to my point is a lot of native animals um, were dying because they were coming into contact with these uh, toads that have poisonous glands on their back, poisonous skin. Um, only just recently have we started to see crows um, are starting to be smart enough to, to to flip them over and eat them from the underside. Have you seen instances of that? Yeah, I know yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. So they've basically gone, okay, um, that's not working. Everyone's dying when they try and pick up a toad or yep. eat it from the back. So they've worked out a way of flipping it over. It's a very similar thing happened with the Rukali. And I remembered that um, when, I, when I looked at this. But um, there's even footage there of this water rat is basically adapted as well and realized that there's really good eating in these toads and they're plentiful if you just flip them over and eat them from the underside you can actually consume the meat without um now humans do not try this do not try this you will die but uh the, these no animals are, are, are getting away with it and I think that's awesome because what it means is it's actually a very very slim chance that natives might start to work out how to deal with these Uh, and use them as a food source. The more they use them as a food source, the more they wipe them out.
1: Yeah, that'd be good.
0: It helps anyway. Yeah, they're a pest. All right. On to a uh, feel-good story. Listen to this uh, headline, Craig. It says it all. This 89-year-old grandma and her grandson are visiting all of the national parks, and they're about to start the final stretch. Oh, there's a great picture here yeah. of, um, oh, cool. what's his name? Does it say his name? Brad. Brad and his grandmother, Joy. <laughs> Look at her. Yeah. She looks fit as a fiddle. She's very small, fit as a fiddle. And it says in the article that, he knew so. Brad, the grandson, knew that his his grandmother had regrets about not travelling more uh, throughout her life, and after he hiked the Appalachian Trail, his grandmother was really, um, you know, expressed some interest in it, and said, "Oh, I would love to have um, tried camping too." Um, and so, Brad basically decided to to start talking to her about starting to hit up some trails and they've um, they got stuck into it. That's good. So, she's seen, so today she's 89 years old and she's seen 49 national parks. That's every single one in the lower 48. Um, she and Brad have seen elk, humpback whales, grizzlies and moose, her favorite animal are the humble prairie dog. And they're not done yet. In December, they plan to hit the road again with the goal of ticking off Alaska and Hawaii's parks. Hey, that's um, that's very similar to that story in the last podcast, except that lady was bagging the peaks as well. These guys are visiting the parks.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah,
0: that's fantastic. That's just awesome. I just... That is a good news story, mate. Yeah, I love the... (laughs) (laughs) grandma says that her grandson is her best friend and my buddy. Oh, sweet. She hopes that her journey will inspire older people, encouraging them to travel. Treasures are hidden in these parks. Every park is different, and every park has a different treasure. Never wait to do tomorrow what you can do today. Good on you, grandma. That's really good advice. That's cool. I love that story. Yeah. Good on you, mate. That is that is cool. Gear talk, mate. All right. Let's keep it moving. Keep it moving. Keep it moving. What would you say if I said marshmallow crossbow? Look at that beast. Oh. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I don't know what the practical implications of it are. I just think it's really fun.
1: Oh, I see.
0: Yeah. So you stick a marshmallow in this crossbow. And uh, it's got a little wooden trigger and <laughs> it, it fires it out. I'll put the link in the show notes. You can actually purchase these online in Fine the States.
1: And tasty. Yeah.
0: Uh, you see that marshmallows aren't as big in Australia as they are, especially in the camping community. Do you know what a s'more is? Or a schmor? S'more? Do you know what that is?
1: Not right now, but I have heard about it. Yeah, what is yeah. it? yeah.
0: So... Oh, it's going to be it's... so many. We have 63% U.S. listeners, and they're all going to be saying, Ah, oh, Tom, you got it wrong, man. Uh, but I don't think I'm going to get this wrong. It's when you <laughs> have, you make basically make a sandwich between these biscuits oh, called a biscuit. um, yeah. Yeah. Graham's crackers. Let me check that because I really will have people s'mores biscuits. Um, <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, they're called graham crackers. So you have a graham cracker and then uh, on top of that you have a little piece of chocolate and then on top of that you have a um, marshmallow and then on top of that you have another graham cracker.
1: Is it a melted marshmallow? Is it?
0: Well, I'm not sure if you melt it before or after, but yeah, it's definitely... um, Heat it up. It's definitely heated up and it melts. And then the whole thing is just a big gooey, sweet mess. But I think those graham crackers are kind of the consistency of those, uh, you know, those digestives biscuits, those wheat, sweet wheat kind of biscuits. Mm. I think it's similar to that.
1: Like an arrowroot sort of.
0: In that ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Cool. It's somewhere in that ballpark. Similar. Mm -hmm. See, there's questions here like, yeah, it says here um, that the equivalent in Australia would be something like the digestive biscuit. Okay. Um, Macavites. Yeah. Anyway, back to my point, uh, I think you could kind of, there's more chance of people firing marshmallows around campsites. In the US. In the US, yeah. Especially because they've got more relaxed gun laws as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. It was
0: a joke. <laughs> uh, yeah, you could. It shoots up to sixty foot, I believe. So you could have a mate um, sixty foot away, sixty feet away, with his mouth open and play little games like try and get a marshmallow in his mouth.
1: Oh, yeah, in the cup. Yep.
0: Yep. Good fun. Oh, I want one. You'll also want one of these Demos shovels. Uh, Demos Collective make these, look at this badass shovel. He's, there's a video, he's smashed a log with it. He's hitting snow off the roof. He's digging snow. He's hitting ice. He's got coals in a fire pit. Yeah. Yeah. But the cool thing about... Splitting wood with that. Well, I don't think that's his primary purpose, but it did it so that, um... I'll show you the Alpha co- collection. That's what it looks like. It folds up. <coughs> all right. Yeah, Excuse cool. me. Folds up in this really small package. And I watched the video today. I have heard of them before, uh, but they just popped up in when I was doing a bit of research. And I thought, ah, oh, that's pretty cool. So it's made of all this kick-ass sort of, um, you know, in the video, they talk about airplane grade. Oh, yeah, aircraft grade, aluminum, and all this sort of stuff. And it's got an extendable handle, and it basically becomes a really cute ass snow shovel, which I thought was timely for our friends in the States at the moment. Yeah, that's good. And then if you want to attach it to your vehicle, it has this really cool, All right. um... Why is there not a shot? Oh, here we go. Look at that. Oh, on the, on so, the spare tire. Yeah, on the spare tire. Yeah, nice. You could, um... Attach it and obviously lock it down with a padlock. So that shovel's always there. Much easier to transport than a full long-handled shovel. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's good. I thought you liked that, mate. All right. Are you ready for Tom's magical mystery media mashup? Um, I feel like you should. I was going to mention it in the last episode. I think you should get the banjo out or something and play... Play some banjo, man. Right now? Yeah, just as the intro. Yeah. Oh, do that? Yeah, of course. He's got, he's got beer, course. he's got banjos. Mm. <clears throat> oh, Wal- Wal- Wal Craig's tuning that up. I'll start anyway. Um, oh, that sweet sound of the banjo. Welcome to Tom's Magical Mightier Mashup with your guest Tom. (laughs) Oh man, that was ice. Something like that. I'm so glad I asked for that. (laughs) You'll be sorry. Do I have to do the whole thing in the hillbilly accent now? Pretty much. The next video I want to talk about is called Run the Line. <laughs> uh, he's, he's putting it back. Um, Craig, I stumbled across this, this video on YouTube. It's called Run the Line. It's a short film. What is uh, absolutely fantastic about it is through discovering the film, I've discovered this YouTube channel, which is, is, I would say, ooh, this is a big call, the best YouTube channel I've found in 2019. Okay. That's a big call.
1: Based on this film or?
0: Well, there's this guy called Bo Miles and he teaches outdoor education. Uh, is it in... Melbourne. I don't know why I'm asking you. I think he is in Melbourne.
1: I've actually seen this video come up, but I haven't clicked on it yet because it's pretty. Is it lengthy? Is it yeah, like yeah. an it's hour like or a, something?
0: No, 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 it's like a twenty. Um, oh, okay. Twenty-two minute. It's in the vicinity of a twenty-minute oh, short right. film. I should yeah. watch it. Yeah. It was people's one people's choice award in in this year's um, Port Ferry Adventure Film Festival, which was just recently. And it just introduced me to this guy's entire channel. So first, I'll talk about this short film, and then I'll I'll tell you a bit about him. His name's Bo Miles, and he he lives in this area where he does a lot of trail running around his house, and he knows the area really well, and has a particular section of the trail where he runs over and under and along this decommissioned train line from about 60 years prior. And what he decides to do is he does a bit of research and finds some old maps and stuff of the area and finds out that, well, he decides that he's going to run the entire... Excuse me, I've been talking way too much tonight. Let me grab a sip of water. Mm -hmm.
1: So the line is the train line?
0: Yeah, run the train line. So he decides that... He's going to run the whole forty-three kilometers off the train line, It ends up being closer to fifty, which is um over a full marathon. Marathon, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, because he does sort of he he can't actually stay on the line. It goes through like a hundred and something, hundred and fifty properties or something. So he's jumping fences, and he ends up like the police pull him over and ask about him because <laughs> he keeps running through. Um, people's properties, and he's right. dressed as this old train driver, and he's carrying a shovel. He carries this long handled shovel the entire way. He well, could have done with one of those. Hang on, how Deimos come he's shovel. carrying the shovel, and how come well, he's dressed like a train? He driver? dressed like a train driver because he's a he's a mad dog, and I think he just thought it was funny to. He's running a train line. He dressed <laughs> like an old train driver. Sounds
1: like he'd get on with our mate Tom <laughs> <Yeah>. from, <laughs> from
0: he was. Scotland. Oh mate, there's no doubt about it, and he. Takes the shovel purely because they have a lot of blackberry bushes um, through the countryside down there. And he knew that there's particular parts where you just weren't going to physically be able to go through without getting ripped to pieces. But I just found it fascinating. He he didn't leave the shovel with the crew. He just carried the damn thing for over a whole marathon. And Hmm. it's a cool story. He's a funny guy. He is a top Aussie bloke, completely down to earth and just really captivating, man. Like he, within a minute or two of watching this video, I thought, oh, I'm hooked, man. i got to watch this whole thing. Yeah, right. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, this is going to get more difficult. And then when I went to uh, the the channel... I realized that they were all his videos and he's done a whole bunch of short films and he just does crazy stuff. Like one time he was, he decided that he was on his way to work and he, they were going to make, um, cause he does outdoor education. They were going to make paddles for their canoes. Mm. And one of the students said, Oh, I can't, um, I can't afford the materials to make a paddle. And he said, "All right, I'll prove that you know that's that it can be done on the cheap." And so he got off the train early, and walks um, you know a couple of kilometers to work, along the train lines and down back alleys and stuff, and keeps putting all these pallets and pickets and all this stuff into his backpack. And by the time he gets to the university. He's got all this timber and he ends up, um, in between classes, he ends up uh, putting together this paddle. And I just thought, what a fantastic lesson for those students to mm. show recycling, upcycling, reusing. Uh, all of the timber was just junk, or someone else's junk. and it, And you should see the paddle that he made. It was absolutely gorgeous. Mm. And he uses it. Um, on a trip at the end of the video and it looks like something you'd pay two hundred dollars for. It's beautiful. Right. So he's got skills. He's got skills. He's just this wacky guy. This other video that he made.
1: So this was, is this this is the channel that it led you to that you're wrapped in. Yeah, Righto. exactly.
0: Right. So it's actually his channel. His channel is Bo Miles. And there's oh, another so thing. he's
1: the guy who's in the in the movie. He's the guy is that's it, and in he's the Aussie the guy.
0: He's the Aussie guy. Oh okay. But he's also the same guy in that has the his channel They're, they're cool. all his videos.
1: Sorry, I'm with you now. That's sweet. And yeah. then
0: he, uh, this other one that he does, he lives on this one mile loop and he decides that he's going to run a marathon on this one mile loop, but he's going to do it in under 24 hours. But during that, every time he completes a loop or two, he does, he ticks something off the list at home. So he writes this massive list of chores. And in the time that every time he comes back from the loop, he has time to work on a project and then get out of his overalls or back into his shoes and then off he goes again. And he runs throughout the entire night with a head torch, but he's running along planning. Trees uh, on the nature strip, like on the sidewalk, and then another time he starts building a outdoor table because they he just felt like they had some old timber and he wanted to build this outdoor table. So he just starts building that in between running a mile at a time. <laughs> it's fascinating, and then he does micro sleeps like about twenty minutes. Um, and then in the morning he's he has a coffee and off he off he goes again and keeps running and it's just again he's he's just he comes up with these such ridiculous scenarios that he uh he just had me completely captivated so i'm going to put links to all of that in the show notes on the website and you can go and check it out for yourself yeah we'll do that sounds good Uh, Another video I stumbled across was, um, check out this little cabin. This guy is an ex-snowboarder, pro-snowboarder called, some people might know him, Michael Basich. And he bought this land on top of this mountain and he decided that he was going to build a cabin there so that he could snowboard basically straight out of his front door in the winter and all of these rocks so this video mm-hmm. is about him and how he built it and all the features of his house but all these rocks were on the property and he split them up and carried them around and and then all the timber he's bought in and he's built this tiny house around it with a little loft and it's absolutely gorgeous yeah, it good. it's absolutely fantastic and, uh, again, sure, it's not hiking related, but it's certainly, uh, nice. if you don't know by now, this is not just a hiking podcast, despite the name. Right.
1: It's, um. yeah, that looks like a wild place to yeah, be. it's and pretty cool.
0: And the video is put together really nicely to kind of show um, his thought process and his design process. And, again, just another really cool short film. About someone living out in the wilderness, which is what I love.
1: Yeah, projects like that that are so remote would be so difficult.
0: And so uh, organic, the way that he's used those materials from the block. Because it's kind of got to be, you know, and that's what drives it to be like that. And, And the things he talks about, like he's designed the front's all glass and the sun comes in in the morning and heats up all the rocks inside. And then as the sun moves over the house throughout the day those rocks um radiate heat back in uh and he also speaks about things like when he's out there he does have a small amount of solar panels and he lives based on you know if the sun goes down he goes to bed uh because it's it's conserving energy um through those shorter winter days and he's not staying up late utilizing all the electricity he just kind of goes more with with uh you know nature's kind of plan yeah right that's good it's good it's more than just a little house video uh last one i got for you today is this one just popped up in my feed and it was called 14 ways to start a fire without with no matches or lighters i thought that was uh uncanny that that popped up a couple of days ago considering that (laughs) this episode is um my year without matches and i won't go through everything that he uses but i will put the link to the video because he does he does some of the ones we already know about but then he does some really interesting ones he does ones that are i just had no idea that you could generate um fire in certain ways Uh, he does the fire piston he does um obviously he does ferro rod he does Several different versions of, so he'll do the bow drill and then he'll do the fire saw, which is two pieces of bamboo and you're rubbing the bamboo.
1: With a bit of string?
0: No, no, you've basically got two pieces of bamboo and you're rubbing them perpendicular and you're cutting into one of the domed pieces of bamboo and the ember eventually falls through onto some uh, stuff that you have underneath. With
1: bamboo. So that's what I'm interested in when you talk about these techniques. Does he get into the the different like the types of timber to
0: use? Uh he does yeah, he does touch a little bit on it.
1: Which is specific to the region that you're in. It, it so. is
0: specific, but the good thing is he does name uh, he does name trees. In Queensland? No Where's no, this, no, from? no this is a US video. Yeah, so we might have them trees. But, yeah, well, he still says things like pines and stuff like that, and we do have yeah, uh, versions of pines. Yeah. But he also says, and I think this is the important part, the the type of timber that you have as the board, if you're doing the bow drill yep. or yep. even the hand drill, the board has to be a different timber. So the board needs to be a hardwood, I believe. The spindle, the bit that spins, has to be a softer wood like pine or something. Uh you can't have two hardwoods or it'll just get slick and start that squealing screeching sound cuz they'll just burn heat up and then harden the tip so you do need that softer timber that grinds and actually starts to produce dust yeah he does touch on that a little bit yeah then he does a few weird and wonderful ones that I've I've never seen before and and he does a few kind of ones that aren't specifically to Uh, geared towards bushcraft, Um, he does one that I've um, been really conscious of. I use a lot of linseed oil at home in uh, my woodwork. Uh, I put that on timber all the time. And I've always known that when you are finished with a rag that's saturated in linseed oil, you you don't just scrunch it up and throw it in the corner because it will um, self-combust. Self-combust. Self-combust for absolutely no help whatsoever. No. It, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, true. And uh, so I, I don't chuck my linseed oil rags in the bin until they've sat um, outside for a day or two and just completely dried out and all of the active ingredients are dry.
1: Did and, you ever watch Inspector Gadget? Um. Yeah, yep. Do you reckon that's what he used to write those notes on? And, oh, and I used to,
0: well, that used to happen too fast because <laughs> this took three and a half hours to self-combust in his video, I think, ah, or right.
1: closer to four almost. So it's on the video that it does yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: He, he sets it there and he goes about doing other stuff and he just puts a time-lapse cool. camera on it and then he has it in a box yeah. and then you just start to see a tiny bit of smoke come out and then it just starts pouring out and then this whole box just goes up in flames. It's... it's as i say it's not a practical method to take into the wilderness but it's interesting to see he does the little um he does the little 9 volt battery with uh steel wool like yeah, the yeah. tutorial that i did that time on youtube yeah right uh which i think's really cool because it's so easy
2: yeah. yeah
0: and a few others i won't ruin it all because i want you to go and watch it but you'll definitely pick up something. And he's very honest in the time that it takes him to produce a flame uh, and how he's going about it. And, you know, there's one instance there where he completely gasses out trying to do, um, I can't remember if it's the hand spindle, the hand drill. Uh, but he just says, hey, I spent like three hours trying to make a flame with the other method and now I don't have the energy to do this method. (laughs) Uh, But he's honest about it. And I think that's what a lot of the survival channels and stuff aren't honest about it. They make it look like, um, the person was there for three minutes and got a fire going. Oh, nice. Well, that's the perfect segue to our guest tonight. Mm -hmm. Uh, we have mentioned her on, uh, the podcast very recently. In fact, on the last episode, Uh, She was unable to um, get together, she wasn't feeling 100% and we're grateful that she's back in good health and able to talk to us tonight and gave us so much of her time and so much information and fantastic insights into what she does. She spent a year in the Australian, I'll call it wilderness, it was a controlled environment uh, and you'll hear all about that. But that doesn't take away any of the um, hardships that she went through. So, Craig, unless you've got anything to add to that, mate, we can jump into it.
1: No, mate, let's get straight into it. I've uh, yeah, and in- really enjoyed talking to Claire, and I hope you guys uh, enjoy listening to it.
0: All right, guys, enjoy. How you doing, Claire?
2: <laughs> Pretty well. Yeah, a little um. A little tired from the end of my spring craziness. I just yeah. got back from um, guiding the Vision Quest on Monday night.
0: That sounds that sounds like tiresome work.
2: <laughs> it kind of is in a funny kind of <laughs> way.
0: Good stuff. But it's
2: been a very busy spring, so
0: yeah, that's good. Yeah. I noticed I was looking at your um, all of your bookings um, today, and actually saw that you had a whole bunch you were just getting through.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm just at the end, like now. (laughs) That's good. So it's kind of time to rest and recover.
0: That's cool. Well, um, are you feeling a lot better? Because I did. um, Our our listeners are well versed in your name by now. I think we've mentioned you on about three different podcasts. (laughs) Um, first time was when I discovered the book. Uh, Mm -hmm. and, And I was thinking today, I can't honestly remember how I stumbled across that. Um, but I'm glad I did cause it just set off a, a really good chain of events. And then, uh, then I, as you know, I got another copy of the book for Craig's birthday yeah. and then we did a bit of a book review on it, but we didn't go into too much detail cause we, by then we'd already kind of secured you as a guest. So I didn't want to give everything away. yeah
2: well i'm glad there's a bit of suspense yeah yeah so you up to the hype
0: (laughs) (laughs) hopefully we do too (laughs) there's always that danger yeah Uh, yeah claire so i was thinking today i was writing down a few notes actually i've been writing notes for a while um and i didn't know how to introduce you because I don't know what your title is. I don't know how you introduce yourself now, kind of post post book, post year in the wilderness. what What are you um introducing yourself as these days?
2: Oh, I don't think I have a kind of um neat little package. Um, I guess there's a uh, there's a bit of a one-liner that says I'm a rewilding facilitator and an author and a barefoot explorer and hmm. mentor. Um and founder of nature's apprentice
0: very good that mm. that'll do just fine that'll yeah, do. that's, that's good. way way better than the, anything I had <laughs>
2: <Okay>. <laughs>
1: that's perfect
0: uh, that's good and uh can you tell us a bit more about nature's apprentice because I find that really fascinating
2: Well, it was the original uh name for my book that I wanted to call my book. Is that right? Um, yeah. It was um, wow. kind of an old friend of mine when I told her what I was doing, she was like, ah, oh, you're going to become Nature's Apprentice. Mm. I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. That's um, good. So I had that in my mind the whole year. It was like I, I'm, I'm here to be Nature's Apprentice. Mm. Yeah. Um, but, but, of course, I didn't know I was going to write a book until I'd finished the year and then uh, when I – told the publishers that the book was going to be called Nature's Apprentice. They had some other ideas about it. So um then it became the business name. And um yeah, it's it's the kind of um foundation for the courses I run, both the rewilding and the the more kind of soul-centric nature-based human development courses as well.
0: Yep. Yeah, we'll definitely tap into that conversation a bit later on for sure. I'm keen to get a bit of information from you there. Um mm-hmm. I don't. I don't mind the uh, title you went with, though. To be honest, I, um I said, Catchy. It, it's good and it and it cuts straight to the point And I think it also opens itself to a wider demographic—the people that yeah. perhaps don't read books like yours. Yeah, but um, that's enough to grip them, I, unless I, they
2: pick it up and they think that they're reading about RSVP or something.
0: All oh, right, yeah, that would have been a tough year, Claire. Yeah, right. <laughs> a whole year without a single match.
2: No. Sad state of affairs.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, You didn't want to have anything about Tinder in the title either. No, that's either. Right. Yeah, <laughs> my year collecting Tinder. My, or my
2: Tinder bundle. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: uh, so, what's what is life like for? Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously, we'll get to um, your adventure later on mm. but um i just want to know what it's like now what's what's your when I mean, you've just mentioned that you've got back from yeah what some have you been courses. Doing? Yeah. Yeah. yeah what are these sorts of things
2: yeah well i guess life for me at the moment is a is a combination of writing trying to find time to write this second book that's underway oh is this a
0: scoop are you giving us a wow. scoop
2: Oh, I'm not that's a good question. Maybe oh, this I am is good. scoop.
0: I think this is pretty <laughs> that's cool. Good. This was not <laughs> expected. I like it. I don't even know about the book, so this is great. Yeah. Are you allowed okay. to let tell anything us, slip tell about the book?
2: Oh, okay. Well, um sure. It's um it's about exploring uh rewilding in in the urban landscape. So kind of um rewilding the urban soul is the current current title. Uh. Obviously, that, um, yeah, looking at change at
0: the last minute, like the last one.
2: Oh, uh, probably. <laughs> I'm even though I'm pretty, pretty kind of set on this this title, no doubt it will. But yeah, exploring rewilding in a broad sense of the word in an urban context because you know it's one thing to go out for a year and yep and have the the luxury of no obligations, no responsibilities, no time pressures to really dive deep. But it's another thing to um, explore it while trying to live a normal life and um
3: Hmm.
2: and earn money and and live where most people in Australia live we're one of the most urbanized countries in the world so um if we can't connect here in the cities then we may as well pack up our toys and go home because this is where most of us are living including me right now yeah um so it's exploring you kind of like not just nature connection but what's human thriving which is really what the rewilding movement is about like how do we how do we what are the elements that make up a good human life like connection to self connection to community and and to the wider non-human world mm-hmm. um, yeah Cl- so that's essentially what it's exploring
1: Claire that would be a natural progression i suppose coming back to the city after your adventures and then you know trying to to, to to place yourself and um and and still still have that connection with the land. So yeah, I'm really interested to hear how, how have you sort of made this work in your head the the rewilding yeah. from the urban.
3: So Well,
2: you really you really do want the scoop, don't you? I kind of <laughs> <I kinda laughs> do. do. Spoiler spoil, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> uh well, look it's been really challenging because I I didn't live in a city for a, couple, a few years after I left my, my year-long retreat. But, oh, okay. um, yeah, for reasons of kind of work and love, I did find myself moving to the city um, and it has been challenging for sure. Um, just mostly the pace of life and and that's really the, the biggest, I find the biggest block to connection is just the level of um, engagements and opportunities and back-to-back appointments and um so it's kind of a discipline really of of oh well saying no in order for the greater yes which is um a slower more connected life but yeah certainly challenging and I've been lucky very lucky to find a place to live that um is right on the river here in Melbourne and um it means that I feel that I have enough nature around me to to be able to find a sit spot that feels like I'm in a wild place and be able to walk for a couple of hours through reserve. Um, so, you know Melbourne kind of offers these big vast green spaces, and I've found a little niche here that is certainly makes it a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, i I'm actually really loving living in the city. I'm loving. Being in a place of such kind of vibrant culture and and innovation and creativity and um, and
0: turning a tap on and clean water comes out.
2: <laughs> well, that yes. Although I've pretty much spent the last month on a on a property where you could drink from the creek and
0: oh, that's nice. There's
2: oh, there's just nothing like it really to be able to just. Put your lips to the water. Not even cup your hands, but like really get down that low and just drink straight from the creek, or drink while you're swimming. It's just pretty special. Pretty
0: primal too. It is. Yeah. Can I jump back a second for any of our yes. listeners who? Well, the thing is, the term rewilding gets thrown around a lot, oh, yeah. but and I think yeah. everyone has a slightly different interpretation of what that is. Um, mm. Are you able to give us your version of it just so that um, I sure. guess they're clear of what, what yeah. we're talking about?
2: I mean, most people get just an intuitive sense. Just the word rewilding itself is quite evocative um, and, you know, it it speaks to this remembering or reconnecting, this yeah, kind of most um, re- returning or experiencing um, a, a way of being that is actually familiar to us, that is um, embedded in our ancestral bones, if you like. Um, it's originally a, a conservation biology um, strategy of bringing top-order predators back on the landscape like they did in places like Yellowstone National yeah, Park.
0: Yeah, I'm very familiar with that, yeah.
2: Yeah, incredible story of... Um,
0: Absolutely, yeah. It's awesome. Brought,
2: brought back the wolves and and it, mm. and it changed the entire ecosystem right down to the invertebrates in the creek. Mm. Um, but people like me have kind of adopted it as... Um, as a another human movement, a um, kind of like I don't know, like a neo environmentalist movement, if you like, or or um, having a fierce look at the modern human, the average modern human and lifestyle, and like what are we what are we missing in terms of thriving? Like what what do we what could we do well with picking up from our ancestral past? Um, you know, looking at everything from what we're eating to um, how how we're moving physically on the landscape what how our senses are kind of atrophied um, and how connected we are essentially like what kind of relationship do we have to the more than human world which is our primary place of belonging really yeah so it's it's really looking at, at all those factors and kind of yeah if, if you like getting back to getting back to some kind of like primal, um, original state of belonging.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it, it saddens me at times to think that we need to use a term like that because we've gone to a point where we've removed ourselves so far from mm-hmm. that environment that we now have to say, "Oh, everybody, we have to actively get back." Uh, mm. In such a short amount of time, uh, it's a little blip on the timeline. That it we've is. just jumped from being, you know, even early settlers of Australia, fully immersed in the landscape, and uh, all of a sudden we're at desks in, in uh, air-conditioned bubbles. It, it's it's really quite um, uh, sad. Mm.
2: It is. Yep. Yep. And it's becoming clearer and clearer through all the behavioural problems and attention. Problems and and kind of anxiety um, issues of kids and teenagers and um you know the and not to say the physical physical symptoms that um are screaming out for a a, a really significant shift in the in our lifestyle yeah. and our values really
0: yeah it's and you see it uh, reflected in. Um, you know, have you heard of the – We actually, we spoke about it last episode. Have you heard of um, forest bathing mm. that they do in Japan? I have, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so yeah. I find that interesting that somebody's actually said, oh, this is a thing now. Uh, I know it's been mm. a thing for a long time, but this is a thing now. You've got to go back in. You've got to spend time in nature. And I think, well, that just depresses me so much that people have to be uh, almost um, given a prescription to go and do right. that before they'll go and, and act on it. Mm.
2: That's right. And in places in Europe, um, doctors are actually prescribing yeah. kind of nature therapy. I was reading
0: about that. It's, it's, yeah. it's horrific. Uh, I mean, I'm glad that um, people are being prescribed that over a box of pills. Don't get me wrong. But mm-hmm. it, it does sadden me that, that it has got to a point where we have to tell people, you need to go take a walk.
2: Yeah, it's and give it, giving it a kind of fancy name and, and yeah. accredited, accredited courses to teach you how to kind of just hang out in the forest, really.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think um, going back to your earlier point um, before I interrupted you on that, I like the idea of, uh, and I was certainly guilty of it myself uh, when Craig and I first started hiking, it was we had this, well, I, I can't speak for Craig, um, but I had this idea that, well, if you, if you can't get out there for sort of, two nights or more it's not worth going like we really liked no. that extended sort of mm. two three four day stay and mm. it, it, after a couple of years I kind of realized if you keep putting all your eggs in that basket yep. uh, it, they're going to be few and far between these adventures yes. and then yep. you're not really getting that essence of what you're looking for because it's not yep. enough and not four days is not enough every four months you know
2: right yeah. So, no, it's yeah. true and and look, I could go out for a 2 or 3 hour wander just even out the back here of mm. um my little green space in Melbourne and have a really like have a quite a significant shift in my perspective on life just from that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I no. also think it's the way you um set that up. I was reading another one of your blog entries today and I think it's the way that you approach a a situation where you approach an outing yep. i don't think you approach an outing put it this way i think uh we would say that yourself and us are sitting at opposite ends of a, of a spectrum that's essentially on the same plane if you know what i mean so um, we'll go out into again craig i'm speaking for you mate go I, ahead I, mate. I, you know i I hope I'm getting this right. I think you're getting good at it. <laughs> we just tend to go, <clears throat> excuse me, we just tend to go into the wilderness. Uh, we've got a, a a route planned, but we don't mm-hmm. have a defined kind of, uh, how would you say it, um, spiritual or a philosophical kind of result that mm-hmm. we're trying to get out of that journey. But yep. after I get Craig lost and and the shit hits the fan and things go really bad, we tend to come out of these journeys with some kind of, uh, you know, fantastic revelation or Mm. some bonding or some um, uh, just just something that's more than just going for a hike. But what I gathered from your, uh, the way you approach things, it seems to me like before you step foot on the trail, um, you tend to have a, something specific you're trying to achieve have i got that wrong or am i half right
2: um i'm not exactly sure what you're referring to but i guess one um one aspect of that is is the kind of the art of wandering yep which um which is really quite different from hiking from a to b and don't get me wrong i love a good few-day hike. Oh, thank goodness, because um, you're on the
0: Bloody Hike and Die podcast. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. Just add that in. Hey, listeners, now she we- doesn't like hiking. <laughs> <laughs> love a good hike, and what I love even more is a good long wander. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, setting, setting off uh, without a destination in mind or ideally without a time or destination, mm-hmm. um, kind of on the micro or the macro level, and... That's where consciousness really shifts. That's where I really feel a shift in my state of mind because I'm, I have to be so aware of my surroundings. I'm taking cues from the landscape, um, and I'm following curiosity, and or I'm following um, an element of surprise or, or wonder. Um, and it takes me to all sorts of different experiences or connections with. Plants and animals and the land landforms that you know going on a trail doesn't allow for because it's it's still kind of in that often in that linear mind. I find I'm often more in my mind, my thoughts, when I'm on a set trail because it's all mapped out for me. When yeah. when I'm within, yep. on a wander, then my senses really come alive.
0: Yeah, yeah, we d- I definitely 100 percent agree with that, and there are times where. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to uh, wander around and not have a time schedule and mm. pretty much just be judged by, well, I want to get back to the tent or the campsite mm. or the cabin roughly on dusk, but this whole afternoon is, is my own. I think it's mm. a nice place to be. Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and so I guess if you've got a space that you can just just wander and not have that sort of marching, hiking approach, um, yeah, mm. you can you can achieve that. And most, most a lot of our listeners live in the city. I, I mean, we, a lot we all do. Mm. Um, mm. And you've got to make time for that. And I, I love how you call it discipline too, because I'm sure it is a bit of discipline too. Yeah, I like that to make that happen. Well,
2: it's like it's like a practice, you know. It's like yeah. like a meditation practice, for instance. Yeah, like okay. it's easy to to let those things slide because there's always something else on the to-do list. Absolutely. But just that feeling when I, like, shut the laptop or put down the cleaning or whatever I'm doing and just head out without my phone, without a watch, and just head out onto the land here. Oh, Mm -hmm. such a joyful feeling, such a relief.
0: Yeah, Uh, that's uh, something I think is... Uh, Yeah, I I like that, Craig. I like that you picked up that word discipline. It's just like doing exercise or something. And and Claire, you just pointed out a good thing that there's always something on that to-do list. And I think Mm. we would tend to prioritize going for a walk and it would keep getting bumped down the list, bumped down the list. Mm. And yeah, I didn't do it again today. I'll move it to tomorrow's to-do. And I didn't do it the next day. And I keep bumping it because it's not as important. But I think uh, the long-term effects of that... Are significantly more important than uh, you know watching a YouTube clip, and, or and I'll be the
1: first to admit that I I don't do a lot of that sort of as you, you say. You should, Craig. It's I good know. that you're being honest I'm for a I'm very change. honest. i bringing
0: out a lot of honesty here, Claire. <laughs>
2: Yeah, but like, there's a high degree of authenticity here.
0: I'm, I'm detecting. That. He's got a beer in his hand. Don't no, 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 too no. authentic. <laughs> not too authentic. There, there's that, you know, you've got to achieve that. I go out
1: for fitness for a run or whatever, or I go for mm. a, a, an overnight hike where I'm on my own and I'm I'm focused on on some sort of success in that and not just letting it be peaceful. So I I, I respect that. I haven't looked at it like that, and I I, I can see how coming back to where you're at at the moment, you're trying to deal with finding that place um, in the urban society. I like it. Yeah. Mm. And I, I kind of, I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about your book, but for me, I did I did find a lot of, of it was, uh, there was a strong drive in there. You were driven for success a lot in what I was, Reading that, you'd put a fair bit of pressure on yourself, even though you're yeah, talking you now. You're a head, Claire. Yeah. yeah,
0: you're a glutton for punishment. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. You
2: are. I'm pretty determined when yes. when oh, something really? really presents a challenge <laughs> that I'm engaged in.
1: Yeah, yeah. You're, to, you're talking about this meandering sort of strolling through the wilderness <laughs> right now, but I could imagine that you were very focused on on what you were doing. And well, um, I,
2: I was, but you know, some of the focus was like right, I'm going to wander all day. I'm going to wander for two days. You know, like there was a okay. lot of spacious time.
0: Yeah. Before I jumped into to your adventure, let's just call it an adventure, uh, to put a label on it, can we go back to what life was like for you before that year? I know you, you touch on that pretty heavily in the book, but uh, whilst I was reading the book, I was thinking of so many things I wanted to ask you. Um but obviously you can't in book form but hey I've got the author here so I'm lucky.
2: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, I mean life was pretty good. I was um working for the Wilderness Society and living in a in a within a great community in uh, Newcastle. Um but I'd also started to to feel quite a strong um calling, I guess is a appropriate word for it. Calling to explore the mysteries of nature and psyche, Mm -hmm. Um, being called to solitude, and um, also started studying wilderness survival skills, and um, yeah, and kind of shamanic practice. And both of those aspects really appealed to me.
0: What made you start in even investigating that? What made you even pick up a a book or have an interest in the survival skills?
2: yeah, I mean it wasn't a big leap, I guess. It was um I got an email talking about this course called Nature Philosophy that talked about bushcraft and and kind of expanded awareness and you know like both the physical and the spiritual side of the whole idea of kind of nature connection, I guess, and being being in the in the bush. And it was just an immediate yes. You know, I I needed to to kind of get back to the 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 first love really which was always nature that drew me into conservation work but then mm-hmm. it quickly turns into political wrangling rather than bush time
0: yeah some of the the kind of scenes that you paint of you in a in a you know a, a little office with just surrounded by paperwork and mm. emails and phones it, mm. it would um i, I really I love the way that you painted that picture because it it was it was almost again i'd I'd have to say it was almost sad reading that part and and in a way, kind of i feel that a little bit myself and it was, yeah, it was sad to hear you talk about how you had this realization that sitting in that office sending emails and is not really getting out and actually um fighting for your cause like you once thought it might have been.
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It um quickly turns into um yeah, into office based conservation work rather than being out there, which is what drew me drew me to it in the first place. So yeah, it was it was quite a strong calling to to kind of leave that world behind and discover these other um parts of myself and explore a more immediate, visceral, intimate connection with nature.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. Do you find that uh, your, uh, friends were, were, you know, predominantly kind of, uh, thought you were very odd or what were their kind of reactions to you saying, Hey, this is the this sort of thing I want to get into, or do you already have friends that were?
2: Yeah, look, it wasn't that really way. that big a leap. It was, what was hard was moving away from activism, mm-hmm. um, because that was my tribe Um, so I guess the, the kind of, the only concern in that way is a feeling of like, well, you're abandoning ship.
3: Yeah, right.
2: You're jumping ship on the whole project here, this thing that we care about so much. Um, how can you go off and, you know, stare at your navel out in the bush when there's work to be done? Yep. Um, we are all nature lovers, so they kind of understood the the um the draw in that way but yes yeah, certainly i i felt some level of guilt for jumping ship
0: yeah i could imagine uh and it definitely came across in the book that you you know you were there to do do something good and then you felt like you didn't want to be there anymore it was as interesting uh it's and it also struck me that i i don't remember and correct me if i'm wrong was, was there ever a definitive moment that that kind of set the the wheels in motion for this. It, as you were saying before, you you started off with the, the survival courses and you were just edging towards it. But was there ever a moment where you just, um, I mean, was it that moment where you were, were you act, laying on the floor or something from memory in the office?
2: <laughs> Look- oh, right. There there was there was a series of moments, but the one I write about is um, when I've just finished a kind of political action and the media's trying to call That's me you know, right. That's and right. I'm just laying on the floor thinking nope just not going to take that call <laughs> um and and realizing I was pretty burnt out
0: yeah and was that you know in the scheme of things was that the final straw or was that um leading up to to something more significant it,
2: it was um you know there was an equal kind of force of something pulling me Right, um, towards right. it as as me pushing away the old life. So it wasn't kind of like a breakdown. It was just as much being allured by something that was far more exciting. Yeah, right, because um,
1: I hear Tom asking this question and I, I've heard him on a similar podcast with another adventurer that loves his solo um, adventures. And he Tom asked whether it's the wild calling him – out there or whether it was him wanting to leave or mm. being a bit misplaced in society. And I guess that's where I hear Tom leading you. Do you think it was a big call? I hear you say it's a big calling for you to come into the wild and, and get out there rather than the society pushing you away. What do you think?
2: Well, I would say it was mostly, um, uh, I mean, it was a shift in, um, my stage of human development, really, like if you look at you know kind of a life cycle of a human, it was me moving into a different life stage, so it was just like a natural progression um, mm. and definitely something kind of pulling me towards it yeah I um, bet. that was more that I would say that was more the um the yeah. momentum yeah. yeah for sure what what
0: were you looking for? Was there something specifically that you, at that time, so, you know, before signing up for this, was there something that you thought you were looking for? But perhaps that's not what you achieved in the end, but did you actually know what you were setting out to do? Uh,
2: look, what I was passionate about was um, experimenting with much deeper states of of awareness and um and just this experiment of what, what would it be like to really put myself in a situation where I was reliant on my own wits, on my own skill, mm. um, on my awareness and and how would I deal with boredom or solitude? Or um, I wanted something to really challenge me. I mean, in hindsight and in the big picture, what I was really doing was this kind of self-initiation from... Uh, adolescence in a way even though I was 30 but most people never really grow out of adolescence um I was looking for some way to kind of really initiate myself like some really strong experience that would test the psyche and show me something of my core who I really was um and what my gifts were
0: and uh that couldn't have been maybe something a little more uh palatable, like a, a week in the bush or two weeks?
2: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, no, for me it ne- needed to be longer and I, I don't think, I don't think initiation really happens in a short space of time. I think yeah. it happens over a period of time,
0: that, really. The guy that um, Craig was was um, alluding to um, in a previous podcast said that he goes on adventures anywhere from 70 yep. to 85 days um hiking. Mm. Um, and he says that it takes three weeks to sink in that he's actually out there alone. And yeah. uh you know, I, I think I sometimes I think after a six, seven, eight day hike that I'm I'm out there and uh everything's cool and I'm I'm alone and everything, but then I realise once I get back that I acclimatise so quickly back into life uh with all my bad habits that I realised that yeah that probably wasn't enough time away.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it takes a while to um to kind of slow down and drop in and really start listening.
0: Do you like do you like the old Claire? I mean, <laughs> do you do you think that she's a person that you've grown away from so far that you you wouldn't want to be that person again like what's your relationship with thinking of yourself as a person before this experience
2: well that's an interesting question well um it certainly grew me up I would say or it it certainly catalyzed quite a growth period um so aspects of myself back then I'm really glad that I have um for the most part, kind of moved on from like being such a high achiever, maybe perfectionist, mm-hmm. um, being quite harsh on myself and others at times. Yeah, um, yeah I just feel much more kind of loose and comfortably my own skin and um, trusting of life, trusting of life's unfolding. and And yeah, I guess I feel like there's a wisdom. There now that there wasn't so strongly, yeah, definitely feels like kind of adolescence versus adulthood in a broad sense of the word. Yeah. Um, but sure, I appreciate that young woman's passion and determination that got her out there in the first place and that wrote a book and, um, you know, takes, takes a lot. I appreciate her courage.
0: Totally. Well, that's well. She got you where you are, so yeah. Good good on you. (laughs) Via a
1: true initiation, as it sounds, and I think that's exactly what it was. I was was
0: just about to say trial by fire, but it wasn't really trial by fire. (laughs) Not Not a trial without fire at the start. Well,
2: I think trial by fire, with or without fire, is a really good way to describe it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah.
0: I think it's a perfect Mm -hmm. segue now to actually. if you don't mind just laying out uh, what it was that you embarked on and, and what sort of things that that, uh, that included, if you don't mind.
2: Uh, sure, yep. Um, so, yeah, it was a year-long residential, very loosely, loosely facilitated program that um, there were six of us who signed up and lived on a private property um, over four seasons surrounded by kind of Uh, bushland so we had a lot of area to roam Um, and essentially we were to put into practice wilderness survival skills and nature observation and awareness. We had some teachers come in and um, teach us various skills and practices and then um, it was kind of a choose your own adventure so building our own shelters was the the start which was quite a um, challenge in itself (laughs) And then it was really up to us how we spent that year.
0: Yeah, it it was. I really liked when the uh, when the teachers came because the. And let me just get it straight. Like, and I've said this. I'm not just saying this to you. I've said this to um to to the listeners before. The, the book, the way the book is written. Is fantastic. It's not just a fantastic book. It's the way that it's written. Would you agree, Craig? Oh yes. Um... Because I said to Craig, "Mate, you got to read this book, but just stick with it, maybe, because you're going to think you know what it's about. Then you're going to realise you have no idea what it's about, and then at some point you'll come back somewhere in between and go." This has taken me on a tangent that I like better than the thing I thought I was getting. Yeah. That's the most confusing description I've ever given anything on the podcast. <laughs> but I'm gonna stick by it and say it's bang on.
1: No, there's there was a lot of a lot more emotion in the in the writing than I was expecting. And it was yeah, as I said before, it was very um you had a lot of pressure on yourself and you could you could just feel that it was a lot of tension throughout it and i really yeah i i kind of it dug deep and i really like it yeah. yeah so
0: so so back to my point whenever these teachers would come and and teach you guys then then the story would just jump into this you know the, the pottery lady would come and then you'd be learning about this um you know making pottery on the fire and all of a sudden there's this whole buzz around pottery and it sounds like the, the other people there, everyone's just focused on this pottery. And then I I don't, I can't speak for how long, you know, weeks or so later, there's, um, somebody there and they're talking to you about wild edibles or something like that. And all of a sudden everyone's just focused on that. And the story Mm. just kind of erupts into that. And then all of a sudden there's somebody there teaching you about tanning animal hides and everyone's just focused on that. And um, mm-hmm. it, was, it was just lovely just to jump into so many uh, facets of what I consider to be all part of, um, you know, getting getting outdoors.
2: Yeah. yeah. It was a bit like speed dating kind of bushcraft. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Have you retained a lot of that uh, knowledge, would you say?
2: Yeah, I, I Certainly, feel like I've retained the knowledge that I learnt that year, and it's you know each skill is a lifetime of study yes. in and of itself. So, yes. you know, like I, I'm still tanning hides, and I'm still learning about bush food, and I'm still learning about fire. I just learnt as a new, experimented with a new material last week, um, but still, I feel like a beginner at all of them.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's a pretty good way of putting it. I think uh, you're really trying to melt melt together all of these skills. That, as you say, that guy that just specifically spends his whole life um, tanning hides is at this kind of um, master guru level, and you, you can really only hope to pick up as much as you can. And I mean, you picked up enough. You got a cool little uh, shirt. I've got. It, is it the one on the front of your book? When you're up in the tree, oh
2: the the um the deer, the deer hide top. I believe so.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah, I, can, I can, I can see where it's hanging right now. Oh really?
0: Oh awesome. I was <laughs> oh, surprised you weren't wearing it for the show. Right, that's right. Well,
2: <laughs> since it wasn't video, I put, <laughs> yes. put on my settings.
0: Uh, well, that's all she wears now is just just hides. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. what oh, we we're expecting. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, no, I wasn't. I wasn't probably expecting all of that. This I, actually, I, I could actually go back a step and say when I read from the cover, I was expecting something slightly different. I thought it might be more of a, a very solitary, alone experience that mm. I was going to be reading about. Um, and initially, to be honest, I was slightly disappointed to hear that there was this small community of people that um, you were you were with, and then. I realised that there was so much more for you to write about. There was these, as Tom was just talking about, all these little things that you you, you learnt through bushcraft. There was um, relationships that you had with some
0: of the people. Oh, that was the best. That the, the gossip and stuff was and, and, the best. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the gossip, and then I'm sure that you you actually really built up these solitary moments where you could just talk about the bird calls. And I just went, "Wow, this is you know quite a a, a broad." spectrum of stuff that you've written about uh, yeah so uh, can, can i talk about the cover because i think it's one of the most amazing covers i've seen if you don't spoil the illusion for me and tell me that is actually part of off the block is that a photo from the block?
2: Yeah. so that's the the second edition for that cover there was a different yeah cover that, on the first one um yep. yeah that's a um a favorite place of mine that um crossed the creek so not on the property but not not far away and it's a heath land and there was a few of these kind of small gum trees that stuck up above the heath and um it was a great sunset spot so i'd climb climb a tree and watch the sunset and um the photographer certainly made it look higher than <laughs> that's, it that's is their job. but well um
1: Claire I'm just I'm just yeah. so pleased to hear that it is from the block because I and you hadn't staged oh, it some other no, place in the world. No, no. It's beautiful. I really yeah. I really am drawn to that cover. I think it just it just mm. paints a really nice picture. So yeah. Yeah, it does
2: it. It. it does speak a yes, thousand words really.
0: My, so boys, my boys my uh, boys my two eldest boys um love it. They yeah. love that cover. Oh great. They picked it up and said, "Dad, what's this book about?" And I said, I just read the title, man. It's pretty much all there. Yeah. <laughs> I said to him, my oldest, as I was walking out the door, he's uh, 10. And I said, who am I going to interview tonight? And he goes, oh, that lady from um, My Year Without Matches. Have that a crazy time. lady in the yeah. bush. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I was watching, uh, was it uh, a TED Talk you did? Did you do a TED Talk? I didn't do a TED Talk. No, what was that? What type of talk was that? You were uh, on a was, stage.
2: Well, done a few, but maybe if it was video, it might have been it was video, um, yeah. Mind and Its Potential.
0: That was it. That was it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, sim- very similar kind of uh, set up as, Ted, as a TED Talk, I guess, is what put me off. But uh, I happened to have that playing on the TV um, one day. Oh, it was probably nearly two months ago now, and again, the same boy walked past and and he'd only have seen that little picture of you on the back and you were talking away and then I think the cover or something came up uh, in the background. He goes, oh. I can't believe it. That's a lady from your book.
2: <laughs> so he didn't realize
0: I was playing it through, my, yeah, right. uh, through YouTube. So he didn't uh-huh. realize. It. I said, yeah, I, I put it up there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm sure he'll, um, this book will go into his hands at some point mm. in the near future. Great. Um, I want to talk about the elephant in the room. Um, and because I think it's important. I think that there's, there's this this factor that that people want to put labels on things, and people want to say, well, oh wow, it's um, either give it too much emphasis that you're female and that you've you've gone and attempted this, or I don't know. There's it's just a real kind of stigma around um, females doing this. Mm. Uh, your group was pretty balanced, wasn't it? From memory, was... Yes. It three men, three women. Yeah, it was exactly balanced. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there that I don't really know what I'm trying to say, but I think that a lot of people would have discounted. Uh, well, first of all, as a participant, a lot of people would have said, oh, well, you know, I, I can't do that. Um, but I just like the fact that you got out there and you know did a bloody good job, equally good job. some would say better job than some of the guys in some respects <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and I know that wasn't your goal at all, but mm. I think what's important is that that still sh- that still showed through, and you know we're pretty big advocates for um uh you know women getting out there and and showing guys how it's done in the outdoors um we've had some fantastic. Uh, female guests on the podcast before and all of them are you know badasses that that get out there and do stuff that we kind of wish we could do but right i mean th- th- at any point does that does that come up in conversation or is that something you're conscious about or are you just on your journey and you're just doing what you do and you well, don't? know it's care? funny
2: when you said elephant in the room i'm thinking what's the elephant <laughs> 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 i had no idea what you were going to say i was thinking oh Maybe we're going to talk about fire or something. Um, Yeah, look, it hasn't – I guess because it's, you know, it's not an experience like I'm hiking up Everest or something. It's got less of a feeling for me of um, something unusual. Okay. Um, But when I I went to research, um, you know, other stories of women um, having kind of – long periods of solitude or, or practicing bushcraft or there was very, very few published stories, especially in Australia, um, about any kind of like women's adventure in, in the bush. Mm -hmm. Um, really very few. So I found a few from overseas and of course there's, um, Robin Davidson's tracks, which is epic adventure.
0: Yeah. Top, top book and, not yeah. so, not so good film, but excellent book. Yeah, right.
2: <laughs> um, so, yeah, it didn't really kind of occur to me to be, you know, feel unusual in that way. Um, but I certainly felt passionate about providing some kind of story to inspire other women to yep. um, to attempt something like that. Or I think or, that's what um, makes
0: yeah. the. I think that's what makes it so much better. Is n- at no point. Through the book, did I feel like you were out there flying this flag? The way you wrote the book, the way you're honest about everything, uh, which it, it I think it works better. I mean, you've worked on campaigns, right? That was your yeah. job. Um, I, I've worked in advertising for the last um, 10 years or so. I, I know what it's about to kind of um, get together you know, some kind of um, story and then try and try and play that story to get – the result that you want but at no point did I feel that we were being sold out or anything through the whole book and I think that the authenticity of it was Craig would you agree that it was scarily honest like you just left no stone unturned with how you're feeling and your emotions and everything yeah
1: I I, yeah I think it was definitely it didn't have it did have quite a women's perspective and if I could just uh sort of take Tom's question a bit further if we look at it as an initiation, do you think that there is a difference with how much maybe uh, men feel a need to initiate as they approach adulthood and is it different for women needing to have an initiation?
2: That's a really good question. Um, essentially, I mean, essentially no. I don't think there's a, a difference in, in, certainly not in the need or the um, the kind of movement towards initiator experience i think both both men and women are, mm. are equally drawn to it but um mm. yeah perhaps perhaps there are some some different ways that men and women are drawn to initiation.
1: I'm sure you were Um, reading some books while you are out there of some amazing women who've done some uh, – but I think looking back in history, it was mostly men who went through some brutal initiations to become – you know, to reach their (laughs) – At least
0: least that was more documented, I guess. Well, I guess so. That's right.
2: I mean, there was definitely – like throughout different cultures different ceremonies for men and different ceremonies for women's initiation hmm. um often they all did include some kind of um ordeal
3: yeah.
2: or challenge to oneself um yeah. but in different ways but yeah i've i mean i've certainly noticed and i don't know whether it's cultural but men being really responsive to learning how to hunt um mm-hmm. and that being a really kind of important mm. skill to learn.
1: I was really lucky I went to a, a school where in year 10 um, a, our home class there was four class four sports classes in the school so our class went for four weeks um, away from our parents in a, mm. a yeah into a, a retreat which was in the bush and we would do some survival and some hiking and uh, climbing and all sorts of stuff and and, and in some ways, I guess that was an initiation, as the school would put it to us. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I I I really dig that we've had this chat to you tonight about how this was an initiation for you. And I think it definitely mm-hmm. was. That's how you looked at it as you went in. And, um, yeah, I think we all need to consider how we've initiated
0: adulthood. Um, it almost doesn't exist anymore in our culture, at least, I think, unless you say it's everyone going out and and getting rotten drunk and fallen over and and not remembering the night if you class that as some kind of initiation which you know I, I yeah. certainly don't well, where, where is it, where what, is what, it yeah, what else is well there? I
2: think you know I think that that what that speaks to is um, the awkward attempts that that young people try and initiate themselves because they feel something yes. There's feel some need, some movement towards um, risk taking and adventure yeah. and um, altered states of consciousness, and without any guides or yeah, knowledge it's, of,
0: it's misplaced yeah it's
2: misplaced so it's you know it's it's drinking and it's fast driving and it's um, mm. something lame like going on a gap year to London, like rather than kind of yeah. something that might actually really shine a light on their essence and their gifts and their uniqueness, yeah.
0: Uh, you you said the word ordeal um, just a minute ago uh, which in, immediately made me think of uh, what what did you call those times I think it happened twice um, throughout your year where you would go and spend um, was it 24 hours without, seeing another person, talking to another person, or was it four days or something?
2: Um, Oh, the vision quest.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, vision quest. So how long did they go for?
2: Well, traditionally they're (laughs) four-day ceremonies where you, and I've just just arrived home from guiding um, 14 people through a vision quest. Um, And, yeah, it includes four days and four nights out fasting alone.
0: Right, yep.
2: So that's yeah, that's a kind of pan cultural ceremony, but it's definitely got Native American roots. Um, okay. And yeah, it's it's a strong it's a oh, strong experience. Man. You, we
0: that's insane. Yeah, I, I do um, intermittent fasting on a much smaller scale, and <laughs> psychologically um, messes with me. Um, once Craig and I took two Muesli bars each uh, and some tea and coffee and went into the bush for four days. And so we weren't, you know, intentionally fasting. It was just outside of those, you know, those two muesli bars each, we, we had to forage and get whatever we needed, but there was definitely, yeah. I mean, I came out of that with, I learned a lot about myself Mm and, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Craig and that both was, of us together and our, all sorts of
1: things. Our man, our self-made initiation, right
0: there, wasn't it? it? I think it was four day though. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> if you had if if that had a been yeah. solo, it would have been mm. insanely challenging. I was lucky enough yeah. to to be able to turn to Craig and and say, I mean, on, on at least one occasion each, we were basically on our on our backs. Yeah, uh, sort well, of we, two days we, in shaking and. For Uh, sure. Withdrawals and stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, that's hard.
0: Yeah, so I'm not saying that it was at the level that you're talking about because we were consuming food, but it it gives me some insight into the deprivation that you're putting yourselves through. Yeah, walk us uh, through what you've just yeah, been can through. You tell us what, what that's um, – The vision what, quest. Yeah, the vision yeah, quest. What, what, so how did you set these people up? How do you guide them? Mm. Were they separated any or were they – Industry secrets away?
2: Yeah. They were, they were definitely separated. They find their own site. Um, and, yeah, it's a, it's a kind of like an 11-day program, four days of which are alone. And there's quite a bit of preparation, like getting clear on their intent and we really work individually but in, in circle with getting people clear on why they're doing this because you have to have a pretty strong reason mm-hmm. to make that sacrifice. Hmm. Um, Is and that to
0: off- ensure success uh, or, or to, to well, help them get ready for this thing they think they def- want to do? Definitely to
2: help them get ready for it. Yeah. Um, and to ensure that they get the most out of the experience because you could waste four days really um, yeah. unless you're really working with some clear intent.
0: And what are they trying to get? Or
2: well, it really differs. I mean, different stages of life. Often, often there's, you know, people maybe in their um, early 30s or something really wanting to make a significant strong shift into full adulthood, like really um, moving into their vision. Um, stepping out of old childhood patterns, um, marking transitions <clears throat> is often a big one mm-hmm. and, yeah, getting much clearer on what their priorities are and gaining confidence in themselves and really stepping up into their power is kind of overall the general theme.
1: And you described a, a scene where you were in a circle for days. Is that what these people have just gone through? Is is it similar to that?
2: That's that's right. Yep. Yeah. They're in s they're in a circle. Um, and they stay there for four days and four nights wow. and then when they come out we um we help them land and tell their story and mirror back their story as we hear it and um, Jeez. yeah, it's it's definitely a life changing experience. And it's, so they
1: have no shelter, what happens if there's bad weather or anything they like take,
2: that? They take out a personal tarp. Um, okay. And sleeping, sleeping gear and rain gear, and it, water yep. obviously. Yeah,
3: oh, that makes um, sense. Wow, and yeah.
2: then they have a system of, um, of like buddies where they they don't see each other but they check whether they put like a say you know they have a little safety mechanism to check whether they put a, a yeah. rock in there. Yes, in their box. I remember reading you, about you that. You did that
0: too, yeah. That's yeah, cool. if, if, yeah, so I guess for the listeners, so correct me if I'm wrong, if you've gone and put a rock in in that place, then another person can see that you're still okay because you've got up and put a rock in that place. Is that a sort of that – That's make, it. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, now, in the lead up to this with with these people, is it also an opportunity for you guys to um, assess their kind of their psyche and, and make sure that they are they're undertaking this and that they're going to come out um, – safe at the end of this and not not kind of mentally disturbed or scarred.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean we have a we have a you know screening process before <clears throat> before people arrive so no one no one should be arriving who's not suitable to, right, yeah. okay. to take the program.
0: You've already gone through that.
2: Yep. Awesome. Yep.
0: Very hmm. good. Hey uh it kind of brings me to another um thing on in the sit spot. Do you want to explain to us First of all, actually, I'm want to t- I'm going to tell you a story first, Claire. How's that? Okay. You, you get a break. I, when this book arrived, by the way, I have an autographed copy. Yes. Very good. To Tom in Wilderness, Claire Dunn. How mm. cool is that? Very nice. Uh, so I've got this autographed copy. And when that arrived in the mailbox, I, I was excited to receive it because I'd read a snippet on your website. Um, and I was immediately captivated. I I don't know why I just don't, it's not something I normally do. I don't scour around and, and, and do things like that. So uh, it's, it's interesting that we're having this conversation, but what I decided off my own back was when I had this book arrive, I was determined to be reading it in the right state of mind. So what I did was, um, I have this uh, this bench seat, which is under this um, uh, liquid amber tree. You're familiar with those; I am.
2: they look yep. a
0: bit like a maple tree kind of thing. Uh,
2: yep. Yeah, I know them.
0: Beautiful um, tree, and I've got this bench seat right underneath it. And there's a little stump next to it. And so every morning I'd get up, and Early in the morning, I would go down and I'd sit in this chair and I'd have a coffee next to me and I would just read. And I live on um, three quarters of an acre, uh, so lots of bird life would come through in the mornings and I'd often get interrupted by birds above me or or my dog would come up and want to sit on the chair with his head on my lap and all this sort of thing. And then it was after getting a certain way through your book that you started to talk about your sit spot. And I thought, that's hilarious that I've, um, without knowing, reading this book, I'd already set up a system where I was going to have my sit spot w- where I only read your book so that I could kind of get as mm-hmm. a- authentic as I could um, mm. while I was reading it. Um, so you want to explain w- what uh, the idea or what the purpose of a sit spot is or was in that, in that 12 months.
2: Mm. Yeah, no, it still is, still a current practice. Well, the sit spot you can kind of think of like nature's classroom where somewhere one spot that's like your anchor point um, that you can go to as regularly as possible and sit with all your senses open and really observe life moving around you. Um, somewhere quite wild or, you know, a park or bushland um, and really get to know it well. Um, Get to know the birds, get to know the plants, the edible plants, the weather, all times of the day or night um, and start piecing together the ecology of the area. Um, And that spot will teach you way more about nature and about yourself than you know, months of moving through different landscapes that you can't kind of piece together the patterns. So a sit spot provides that um, that kind of anchor to piece together the, the bird language and the, and the seasonal indicators and it becomes like a sacred spot, a sacred area um, that's a real refuge and a classroom. It, it's a teaching place.
0: Yeah. And can you tell us about your particular spot? 'Cause um it was pretty cool.
2: Oh, the spot from the from the got, from the book. From the, yeah, year. okay. Yeah. yeah, well it was um it was on the edge of where the kind of forest met more of a wetter rainforesty area down towards the creek. And it was on the sitting on the um upturned kind of um fallen tree, the root ball.
0: Um And that's there's a photograph of that in the in the front cover isn't there that's what that is, is isn't it yeah 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 yep. and yeah Do, have it was you a... seen that Craig? sorry that's that's sorry. what she's referring to all right yeah
2: yeah it was just a fantastic um place where i could observe like canopy birds and spore birds bathing in the in the crevices of the tree that had fallen and the wallabies passing by on their feeding route and <clears throat> at night bats and possums and owls and He was incredibly rich.
0: Mm. Do you think that I've got this, um, I've said it a bunch of times on this podcast, that Mother Nature doesn't care about you as an individual. Like it doesn't care whether you live or die, you fall over and, and decompose and go back into nature or whatever. But what's, after spending so much time in in that sit spot how did you find that what do you think your place was in that environment do you actually believe that um, through your time there that you became uh, a kind of equal part of that environment as say the birds that visited every day or the, the, the frogs or the goannas or whatever do you think that you were on a par with those Let's call them regulars.
2: I wouldn't say I felt that kind of sense of um, that level of belonging, but certainly I feel that I put my roots down there and um, was accepted into that place, if you like, and um, developed relationships that, um, you know, I would like to think or imagine or feel that, They were reciprocal, um, you know, beneficial not just to me but to the place itself um, because I was offering my attention and uh, reflecting back beauty, like Mm -hmm. really appreciating what was around me, appreciating the birds and the plants and the animals and the sky. And, you know, I, I believe that the world is, you know, a sentient kind of a place, an animate place that responds to that kind of attention and that kind of, a gratitude and appreciation.
0: Uh, That's a good answer. I'm glad you said that. (laughs) Yeah. I've got one more question for you, Claire. Um, And I'll ask it as best I can. Do you think that um, now, given what you're currently doing with nature's apprentice and, and taking people out into the wilderness, do you think that you're doing more for wilderness conservation now than you were when you were actively kind of working on those campaigns? Do you think that the jump to where you are now is is a better place for you?
2: It's definitely a better place for me. Um, I wouldn't say there's like a a sense of more or less benefit for the wilderness. Um, It's more like I'm doing I'm, I'm occupying my ecological niche. So yep. this is where I'm best placed. I'm best placed addressing the human nature relationship um, and healing the separation between humans and nature. Someone else is probably much better placed doing the kind of on-ground political lobbying um, and the conservation work that I was doing. But this is definitely where I can make the most change because this is where my gift is. Yeah. Um, so I I don't think it's a case of kind of one's more effective than the other. It's really a case of each person has their own ecological niche. Yeah. Um, that's some creative, unique gift in the world, some presence that only they can bring. And I'm just glad I found mine.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. If you, I always believe that if you're putting, if you're encouraging people to put a value on wilderness areas then you are, in fact, setting up a kind of wider network of people who um, put value in those spaces and will kind of carry that torch forward for you or simultaneously rather than um, not introducing them to the wilderness but expecting them to fight for it as well.
2: Yeah. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, unless you're in love with the world, unless you have a connection to a place, or a, or or just a connection in general to the natural world. There's no real impetus to do anything about it if it's under threat.
0: Yeah. Yes.
1: Well, I, I absolutely love what you've been doing, Claire. And i I have a special place out the back of mine that is uh, a bit of bushland. And although mm. and although there's a fair few mosquitoes, I <laughs> am, am claiming it as a special place now. And I'm I'm taking heed of of some of your 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 work. So.
2: Great. Thank so It's been a pleasure to chat to you, both. Yeah, it's
0: been fantastic. Thanks so much for your time. I, I know that you you've had a big week and that you're um, worn out, so we're gonna we'll let you go there. But um, we'll put all of the the details uh, in the show notes on our website, so people can okay. find Nature's Apprentice. They can um, buy your book. They mm. can also keep an eye out for this next amazing book that you're currently writing.
2: Yeah, yep. Hopefully not too far off.
0: Very good. And I hope that means that um, we could potentially talk to you uh, in 2020 and uh, maybe have a chat about that. And, and that That'd be fun. It. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, great. Thanks, thanks so much, very much, Claire. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, we'd really appreciate your ratings and comments if you can spare the time. If you'd like to know more about Hike or Die TV, Keep track of our adventures around Australia, make sure you drop by hikeordie.com. That's where you'll find all the information you'll need to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or Pinterest. As always, we appreciate your support. Thanks for listening.